One day, a man was walking along the beach when he noticed a boy picking up starfish and throwing them into the ocean. Approaching the boy, he asked, Excuse me, but what are you doing? The boy replied, Throwing starfish back into the ocean. The sun is rising and the tide is going out. If I don't throw them back, they'll die. The man laughed to himself and said, But there's too many starfish on this beach. You can't possibly make a difference. After listening politely, the boy bent down, picked up another starfish and threw it into the ocean. Then turning to the man, he said, I made a difference to that one. I'm so glad you're able to join us today. This, this is a grand celebration, not only of parents and families, but realistically, we get to come every Sunday and be able to lift our hearts to our God, to our Savior. One of the things we do every Sunday is open up the Word. And we have been in the book of Acts. It's in the New Testament. And uh, we know that in this book of Acts, we have had the opportunity to be able to learn how it all started. It, well, the church. What happened just a little over 2,000 years ago? Well, once Christ was here and once Christ lived the life of a little bit over 30 years or so, he, he spent time with a few guys. And he began to preach and he began to teach and he began to do all kinds of things that would be able to help us understand a little bit about his father and help us also understand just a little bit about what it means to follow him. Well, once he came to a place where um, it was his time to sacrifice on a cross. And he spread his arms willingly and he shed his blood to be the perfect sacrifice for everyone who has sinned. After he died, he was put in a tomb. And we just celebrated Easter, the time where we were so grateful that God raised Jesus from the dead. Well, after that time, for about 40 or so days, Jesus spent time with his followers. And right before he went back up to his father, he gave some instructions. And he said, hey, I want you to go back to Jerusalem, and I want you to wait for the Spirit. And that's exactly what they did. There were about 120 followers at this time, and they went back to Jerusalem. They listened to Jesus, and one day, the Spirit came to all those that were gathered in that room, and it descended, and there was amazing power, and the church was born. Oh, it was great excitement. There were folks that came literally by the thousands into God's family. But along with the growth, 
there came some persecution. The church still expanded. But things got a little bit rough. Some of their leaders were stoned and some of their leaders were literally killed. And yet some were miraculously rescued. But throughout all of this, the word of God kept going out, changing lives, transforming neighborhoods. It was kind of exciting to be alive during that time. So if you've been with us, that's a quick summary, the quickest summary you'll ever have, of the first 12 chapters of Acts. Last week, we opened up chapter 13, which ushers us into part two of Acts. And in this section, the transition really is from the Jerusalem church and and mostly the apostle Peter's um, leadership to the gospel going out into all the world, especially under the apostle Paul's leadership. So we learned last week that the Spirit led some, church, or led some leaders at the Antioch church to commission to send out Paul and Barnabas to go share the good news and plant churches. It was really a little bit odd. There was no missionaries before this. And even the idea that they were going to go and plant churches and not even have a really good game plan seemed a little weird. But, but they listened to God, and they sent out Paul and Barnabas, and we found last week that they ended up on the island of, of Cyprus. Well, this first missionary journey began a radical new policy it was something that changed really everything. They began proclaiming the gospel to all different types of people groups. They listened to God, and God was moving. Before we jump into our text for today, it's found in Acts 13. I'd like to pray. Father, once again, we come before you, not because we're just supposed to come before you, not that uh, the program says, let's pray, but Father, we know that you are active today. We are so grateful for those who have come to worship, whether they be here in this building or online. We thank you, dear God, that we have a group of people, a family, a community that desires to honor you to praise you. We're meeting right now, Lord, to hear from you. We're convinced that the Spirit is active and the Spirit wants to teach each one of us, so we ask that that would happen, that nothing that I would do would get in your way to be able to teach us and encourage us and strengthen us. In fact, Lord, we're convinced that this word today is exactly what each one of us need. So, We pray, Lord, that you would use your word in our lives today. We also pray for all those other churches in our neighborhood, for those churches all over the state and all over the country and all over the world who are teaching your word and praising your name. We know some of those are being persecuted and some of those, it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus. So we ask for perspective and strength for them. 
And we ask, dear God, that as we move forward in every place that you send us, whether it be in a school or in an office building or maybe on a job site, that we would be faithful and proclaim who you are, the perfect Lamb of God. We love you, Lord. We do. And ask that you would again open our eyes. And we pray these things in your Son's name. Amen. Amen. Now, chapter 13 shakes us up a little bit, especially if you've been in the study with us. The honeymoon is over. Now, we often understand that term. You know, during a honeymoon, there's hardly ever a fight, right? During a honeymoon, everybody just cooperates. And during a honeymoon, there's lots of forgiveness extended. But, Reality does hit someday. Finally, you get fed up with the dirty underwear on the floor. And you let your dear husband. You thought I was going to say wife, didn't you? Yeah. It's never the wife. It's always the husband. Well, what's going on? And all of a sudden, there's this little bit of a rift. And things then become real. And conflict is normal. Yet love and forgiveness is extended. And this is kind of what happened in the first missionary journey. They went through Cyprus. And they had great success. Actually, it was a very pleasant island. It was an island that was really familiar to Barnabas, who was part of the team. There was a large, well, Jewish population that offered plenty of hospitality along the journey. And there was even a conclusion of a, an official who came to faith at the very end. Then they got on a ship. And they went north to a town called Perga. <laughs> From Perga onward, the journey would be challenging. Nothing would be easy from here on out. So let's see how they responded. In Acts chapter 13, I'm going to start reading at verse 13. Paul and his companions then left Pappas by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. They land at Perga. A guy, one of their team, there's three of them, the Apostle Paul, there's Barnabas, and there's John Mark. And they leave. And they hit the port. And the scripture tells us that one of the three, the three amigos here, decides to leave. Now, for reasons, Dr. Luke, who wrote the book of Acts under the inspiration of the Spirit, doesn't reveal why John Mark abruptly abandons the the team and sails for home. Luke doesn't dwell on the matter, so we can only speculate. Perhaps the journey seemed too difficult. Perhaps he heard of the reputation from there all the way to Antioch. Or maybe even he disagreed with Paul's ministry methods. 
He'd been with him. He saw him interact. Maybe he didn't like how Paul interacted with people. But we do know this, is that once John Mark left, Paul and Barnabas made this 100-mile journey from Perga all the way up to Antioch. It was difficult, and it was dangerous, and it meant crossing rugged mountains and turbulent rivers. Remember, again, there weren't cars and vehicles and airplanes. This was done mostly by walking. And so it was quite the trip. Luke omits the details and doesn't even tell us why he chose this hard path and why he went to this city. But there isn't any doubt as you read the rest of Acts that Paul and Barnabas felt that was the right direction. So somehow the Spirit let them know, and in spite of the difficulties, they said yes. Let's continue. Verse 14. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and get it. They finally arrive up in Antioch, and they go to the synagogue, which is their normal practice. There's still quite a bit of Jews around, and they enter into the experience. Now, verse 15 suggests that, well, what happened in that synagogue at that time was very, very common in first century Judaism. All right? They began with the recitation of the Shema. It's the profession of faith. And it's followed by prayers. And then a reading from the law and the prophets. Now, the gathering normally ended with teaching. Uh, Whatever was read, there would be someone that would get up and explain what the scriptures meant. Today, we probably call that a sermon. But in the synagogue, it was very customary that if there was a visitor or someone who had, well, great knowledge, they would often just invite that person up to basically teach them from the scriptures that was read. Well, since Paul was a student of one of the most famous rabbis at that time, his name was Gamaliel, they took advantage of it. And they basically said, Paul and Barnabas, uh, we see you're here. Your reputation precedes you. Why don't you come on up and teach us? Now, I just have to say, wow, wow. Can you imagine the Apostle Paul getting that little bit of an invitation? One of the greatest of all teachers. After all, he wrote at least 13 books of the New Testament. All right. And he said, hey, by the way, would you bring us a word of encouragement? Now, let me tell you, this was exceptionally important at this time. The culture at that time, you don't know a lot about it probably, but let me explain. It was hurting. It was under Roman rule. It was rather um, perverted politics at best. They were filled with despair. Racism was rampant. Slavery was 
off the charts. And women and children's rights, <laughs> they never heard of those things. The world was really hard to live in. But Paul saw this opportunity and began to encourage. He began to preach. He had an opportunity handed to him on a silver platter to proclaim good news, to bring hope. So here we have a group of people rather discouraged because of the world that they're living in. What kind of message would Paul bring? What would he teach? How could he encourage those folks in a place that was so dysfunctional? Well, the truth is this. Paul gave some great news. And we're going to look at his sermon. We're going to look at what he said to encourage those people almost 2,000 years ago. But so what's so ironic, my guess is, is that he is going to encourage you because our culture is not so different today. So let's look at this passage, a passage, I think, that Paul pumps their tires. We're going to start at verse 16. So Paul, because he got this invitation, stood lifted his hands to quiet them down and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you, God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and grow during their stay in Egypt. Then with a powerful hand, he led them out of slavery. He said, folks, would you please listen? I've got some good news. First of all, God is sovereign. God is in charge. I know our world looks out of sorts. But I just want to remind you, even back then in our history, God worked in an unusual way to bring about all that he wanted to bring about. It may have looked when our ancestors were in slavery, that God was on vacation, but he wasn't. He was powerful. He was in charge. Then he goes on. He put up with them. Talking about the Israelites. I'm not sure if you know this, but the Israelites were a lot of complaining people. They didn't like the menu, manna. Man in the morning, man in the evening, man every day. They, they didn't like that. They wanted more fresh water. They didn't like their accommodations. But God was so faithful. In verse 18, he put up with them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. God was patient. He knew he was refining them. He knew he was causing them to depend on him more every day and that they would be blessed as a result of this. And then we go on in verse 19. Then he destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years all the way through Israel's history, uh, the Jews heard, hey, I'm going to bring you to a promised land. I'm going to give you a land filled with milk and honey. I'm going to provide for your every need. 
God keeps his promise. So God is in charge. God is powerful. God is patient. He's reminding the people of this. God keeps his promises. God even provides leaders. Look at the next part. After that, God gave them judges to rule until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man from the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I told him to do. Again, Paul's whole message is on God, reminding them over and over and over again that that God brings right leaders. God will work mightily as we move. But here comes the part I think Paul started getting excited. He was kind of, I, I think, just kind of sharing this. But starting at verse 23, God is... I mean, Paul tells these folks, these discouraged band of brothers and sisters, and says, I am going to send the long-awaited and promised and risen Savior. Look, Look what he says. And it is one of King David's descendants, Jesus, who is God's promised Savior of Israel. Before he came, John the Baptist preached that all people of Israel needed to repent of their sins and turn to God and be baptized. As John was finishing his ministry, Paul preaches. He asked, do you think I'm the Messiah? No, no, I'm not. But he's coming soon, and I'm not even worthy to be a slave and untie the sandals of his feet. He gets so excited right here in verse 26. Brothers, you sons of Abraham, and also you God-fearing Jews, all you folks in the congregation, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as one of the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him. In doing so, they fulfilled the prophet's words that are read every Sabbath. They found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And when they had done all that, the prophets or the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and they placed him in a tomb. But, but God raised him from the dead. And over a period of many days, we know 40 He appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. And they are now his witnesses. These guys are all around. These guys are proclaiming that they met the risen Jesus. And now we are here to bring you this good news. (laughs) He is telling a story that has changed Paul's life, Barnabas' life, the early church's life. And yet I'm sensing because of what happens later that maybe there were some puzzled looks. Paul's pouring out his heart. He is so excited to tell them about this Savior. And my sense is that most people are just kind of looking. And I don't know this for sure. 
but I do know that all of a sudden he cranks it up. All of a sudden, he just starts to maybe get a little bit more excited. And if you look at verse 38, he says, brothers, listen. Now, by the way, this is the second time he asked him to listen. Maybe some were nodding off. Maybe some weren't getting it. Maybe something was going on, but, but he says, hey, can you guys listen? Focus, focus, focus. Pay attention. The stuff I have to offer to you is going to be unbelievably important. It will change your life. It will change our country. It will change everything. It will change your perspective. Oh, this is good. And he goes, we are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there's forgiveness of your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight. Something the law of Moses could never do. And he says, be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your day, something you wouldn't even believe, even if someone told you about it. Let me pause for one second. The good news that he was sharing was this. Your sins can be forgiven through Jesus. Hey, folks, you've been worried. You've been part of the temple, and and you have been fearing God, and even you Gentiles. You've always been bringing sacrifices. You, You never, ever, ever could ultimately please God because you always had to do another sacrifice. But I want to tell you right now that your sins can be forgiven once and for all. That Jesus Christ died so that you might have a relationship with God that will be now and forever. The good news was not only good, but in many respects it was startling. The atoning death of Jesus the Messiah fully satisfied the demands of God's law, making the forgiveness of sins available to everybody who believes in him. God's forgiveness brings pardon for all sins. This was unbelievable news for them and for us. But at the very end, he reminded the audience that God judges unrepentant sinners. It's a little hard to understand at the very end, but that is a quote from Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 5, where God was literally at that time saying to you and to me that I'm going to bring judgment to Judah. They're not listening to me. They're rebelling against me. So he's warning them, saying, hey, Judah has a reputation of not listening. Don't be like your forefathers, all right? Paul clearly gives his audience the choice every person faces. You see, accepting the salvation offered in Jesus Christ brings forgiveness of sins. But rejecting it brings judgment and eternal damnation. God's grace and love do not cancel his justice or his holy hatred of sin. Right here, God's surprise move is that salvation is available to everyone apart from trying to do the law. 
you know, for legalistic and ethnocentric Jews, even for God-fearing Gentiles. This is unbelievable. In fact, maybe even outrageous and offensive. You can have a relationship with God because of Christ's death and resurrection. Paul is just pleading, don't take this message casual. This is really, really good news. Respond. Respond. Well, the message was well received. It did bring hope. There was response. Look at verse 42. As Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again. Folks, again, I've been a pastor for a a long time. I am not sure at the end of any message I have ever shared in all the years. Folks have come to me and said, that was so good. I love it. I love the way you taught about Jesus. How about if we do that again? Give us that message again. I'm going to go to the neighborhood. I'm going to go to my family. I am going to share with them how amazing this good news is. And I'm going to bring them back, and you do it again. Again, I'm not condemning anyone, but but this, this was so amazing. They were excited to hear this. And like I said, some responded. Many Jews, verse 43, and devout converts to Judaism follow Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urge them, continue to rely on God's grace. This is a message about God's grace. God loves you. God cares about you. He sent Jesus to die for you. He, you can have forgiveness of sin. This is so amazing. Look at verse 44. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. Whoa. Whoa. But some of the Jews saw the crowds and were jealous, so they slandered Paul and argued against what he said. Then Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly and declared, it is necessary that we first preach the word of God to you Jews. But since you've rejected it and judged yourself unworthy of eternal life, Whoa, we offer it to the Gentiles. For the Lord gave us this command when he said, I have made you, Jesus, Jesus, a light to the Gentiles to bring salvation to the furthest corners of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad. They thanked the Lord for the message. And all who were chosen for eternal life became believers. So the Lord's message spread throughout that region. I I don't know if, again, you're getting the excitement, you're getting the boldness. There's confrontation. Paul is just trying to preach his heart out, encouraging everyone to respond to this good news, to this amazing thing that will not only change their lives, but change their world. It will. The whole city showed up to hear the word of the Lord. That is God's word. My guess is even in this context, probably so much of Jesus' teachings perhaps were being taught. But the Jews were jealous. They were unreceptive. And they caused some trouble. 
It, it didn't bother Paul and Barnabas. They were bold. They preached to the Jews, and they said, hey, do you understand? We gave you this message first. If you want to blow it off, it's up to you. We're going to offer it to someone who care. And the Gentiles responded. <laughs> they were really happy. They were pretty excited. In the scriptures, it says that those who were chosen became believers. This is one of the clearest statements in all of the scriptures concerning God's sovereignty and salvation. For some of those who understand a little bit more the deeper truths of the scripture, we're talking about predestination and election and free will. We're not going to dig in there right now, but... Meanwhile, the word of God spreads. It just, people just keep talking. Hey, I got to tell you about Jesus. Hey, I got to tell you how my life was changed. Hey, I got to tell you, this is an amazing story. I once was dead and now I'm alive. Oh, my word, this is so cool. Then look at verse 50. Verse 50. Then the Jews stirred up influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas, ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Well, there was some conflict. And the movers and the shakers of that town stirred up the people and they drove this evangelistic team away. The scriptures tell us they shook the dust off their shoes, which is a sign of we were faithful and you chose not to receive God's amazing message. The scriptures tell us that believers, in spite of this disappointment, were filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. The word of God began to spread, and all they did was go to the next town, and we'll find out in two weeks exactly what happens. They basically do the same thing. Now, what I'd like to do is take a few minutes to maybe learn from what happened in Paul's message. You see, Paul gave hope to a group of believers living in a broken, divided culture. There was depression and despair. Politics was stifling, and racism was rampant. The message made an impact. It changed the world. And I think God's message today can do the same thing in our lives. Let's look at some takeaways, some things I think that will help us understand all that God has for every one of us. First of all, the thing I want you to understand is that ministry is hard. I, I'm not so sure why anybody thinks following Jesus is easy and serving others always, um, shall I say, encourages your heart. I think there's lots of reasons to throw in the towel. And sometimes it's persecution. And John Mark certainly did that. And, and again, we don't know why. There's lots of reasons to choose easy. But they chose a road, a very difficult road, going up to Antioch. 
Jesus, when he was here on the planet, said over and over, hey, you, you want to be a follower? You want to be one of my disciples? Well, you're going to have to be less selfish. You're, you're not going to think about yourself. You need to give up your life and your priorities, pick up a cross, and be obedient and follow me. In some ways, I like to say this. Enjoy the times when you're not getting run out of town. Because that's what happened to those guys. Secondly, I think we can learn from the synagogue gathering. Well, what should be a little bit interesting to you is we have not veered from, shall we say, public gathering much. And, and it's not bad. But our services are also, we start off with an affirmation or we sing praises of who God is. And there's times of prayer and times of scripture. And there's response and teaching about the scripture. There's so much value in spending time with other believers in a consistent way back then and even today. One of the things that seemed to jump out at me is that Paul understood the answer to the culture, to the discouragement, was to preach the word, to make sure others understood the gospel, the truths. Realistically, when God says whosoever can be forgiven and have a relationship with God, that is an amazing thing because every one of us on this planet have been created to have a relationship with God. But every one of us are sinful and every one of us have been separated. And until we come to a place in our life where we trust Christ as Savior, we will never be reconnected. That is pretty exciting. So what the world needs now is not love, sweet love, although that's nice. What the world needs now is God's truth, and we need to proclaim it. I don't want to offend anyone, but the truth is, is that the issue in our world, in our culture, is sin. Because the ramifications of sin and the fruit of sin is death. And it's separation from God, and we'll never be able to live the way God intended us to live unless we're connected with him. Some of us think it's politics and racism and, and health and vaccines and masks. And actually, I, I, I think they're all important, and, and I am really not trying to diminish these cultural ills. But what I am saying is this. Our world changes through salvation, through a relationship with God, through understanding and responding to God. Tell me, what is better than this message of God's grace that you and I can be restored and have intimacy with the Almighty God and He can give you purpose and strength in spite of all the situations or circumstances or news? We can experience joy now and life eternal. And even more importantly, we can join God on his mission. We can make a difference in our world. We started off this message with a short little clip about one boy making a difference of a few starfish.
if you've ever been in that situation. And, and you've seen thousands upon thousands of starfish after a storm. There isn't any way. And it's overwhelming. How could you ever help all of them? And you can't. But what's so exciting is that that boy made a difference in a few of their starfish's lives. How exciting that God gives each one of us an opportunity to be able to share good news and make a difference in people's lives. We can easily say, it's too much. (laughs) Look around. There's too many people. But God says, no, it is my message. You know Joni and Jimmy and Jerry. All the J's. You can share good news to them. They might respond. They might. Their lives could be changed. Don't get distracted. I'm sure every one of you can go on and on and on about our politics. (laughs) One way or the other. You can tell us all what you think about the vaccine. A long time. You can look at the ills of our society about racism and and go ahead, talk. But realistically, don't forget the good news that will help us deal and treat others in a loving and respectful way. Trusting God to be able to bring about all that he wants to do. You know what? I think the next thing is that God doesn't cram his grace down our throats. (laughs) I'm sure some of you are squealing a little bit at my language there. But isn't it amazing that Jesus, the Son of God, probably the greatest teacher of all, understood the best way to communicate good news and tell others about his Father. How many people didn't believe? How many people didn't believe after he touched those who are lame or those who are blind or even raised folks from the dead? How how many people didn't believe? In this case, we need to remind ourselves that in our story, some Jews rejected and some Gentiles received. Let us rejoice in those new lives, those people who are taking those steps of faith. So many of you have heard of the parable of the sower. Jesus told it, at least in, in the Gospels often, but The main idea is this, is that there is a farmer and he's going to throw out seed. The scriptures tell us that Jesus said that seed is the word of God. And some of that seed's going to really fall on hard hearts and some of it's going to fall in shallow soil where people might just respond very quickly but then fade away. And others might, you know, fall in soil that's filled with weeds and that people will be distracted. But some, some, some will fall in good soil. Just people who respond. People who believe. And God says, there will be much fruit. That's what my seed does. There will be 
opportunities to reflect God to others, to love like God did, to forgive like God did. That's what God's word does in us. You know, Peter tells us in 1 Peter chapter 3 that when we have an opportunity to be able to tell others about the hope, about the life that God has given us, in 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 15, it says, do it graciously, do it lovingly, do it with tact. You know, I just want to say that over these last few years, some Christians have not been very loving and very kind and very gracious. And not on Facebook and not on Twitter and not on Instagram. Not in their conversations with their neighbors. And we have forgotten that our main purpose is to be able to reflect our God well to others. I'm really convinced that Jesus is really, really attractive. How could he not be as you know him? But sometimes Christians aren't. Christians aren't. I, I don't know when there's going to be times when, when you have to stand up for truth and you need to be bold in, in spite of all the odds. But I know this, is that there's more times or not. For me personally, as I enter a conversation, I can go one of two ways. I can be gracious and loving, or I can be hard and calloused. And I just think God has sent us out in this culture, in this way, to make a huge difference. And may God give us grace. Lastly, lastly, I think the Spirit brings joy. We saw it in the very end. In spite of being disappointed, in spite of getting kicked out of the city, they were filled with the Spirit, and one of the keys of walking with God is that there's joy in spite of, in spite of. The circumstances or situations are getting kicked out of a city. You see, joy comes because we're focusing on a Savior. We're focusing on eternity. We're recognizing that it is our privilege to listen to our Lord and to respond to him in spite of circumstances. You know what, our, our whole theme in the book of Acts, when we started a million years ago, is that the task is unfinished. It's unfinished. Jesus says, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And teach these new disciples to obey all the commandments that I've given you. We're here for a reason, every one of us. It's exciting to even see these little ones up front. They have no idea of all that God has planned for them at this moment. Hopefully they're going to come to faith and hopefully they're going to walk with God and hopefully they are going to make an impact wherever God sends them. 
Oh, you see, Paul was so excited. I, I, I hope you got that. He wanted everybody to respond to the good news. That they can be forgiven, that they can have a relationship, and that they can have joy in spite of circumstances. This is good news. This is gospel. This is not just for preachers. This is for all who have been redeemed. Oh, may God give us grace. May God give us love. May we understand how last life-transforming this message is. And would we be bold? May God change us from the inside out. May there be unbelievable excitement because of the truth that has changed us. May we be faithful. The adventure continues as we look in the book of Acts and, and as we finally get to Iconium, you're going to be surprised as Paul continues this journey of proclaiming good news. Some will reject and some respond. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We do thank you. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for the message of good news. God, we do not deserve this. We are selfish. We are arrogant. We are self-focused. Oh, God, you change all that in us. You give us an opportunity not only become part of your family, but to be able to proclaim this good news so others might have life. God, your word is powerful, and it bears fruit. May we be faithful in proclaiming in Jesus' name.